What's happening? How's things, Aaron? Very How well. Wow. What an intro. <laughs> I love it. I love the music. Thank you so much for joining me. To everybody watching here this evening, this epic gentleman is Aaron Timms. And Aaron is based in Colchester, near London, in the UK. Um, I have been blessed to be introduced to this man through a mutual friend of ours, and he has an exceptional, exceptional story. So I just want to say thank you again for, for jumping on here with me and, and sharing your heart with everybody. You're very welcome. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's, it's a privilege to be here. Um, thank you so much for having me. What a beautiful platform. Uh, I can feel the energy and I can feel the love already. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful place. This is Todd Medina's baby. And uh, mm. it's his, his his goal is is just sharing the magic and, and you know, connection just sharing the connection with, with with people like yourself myself and you know that we can all i suppose we all have the common the common theme of you know whatever adversity we, we go through as as humans that we come out the far side of it as stronger wiser braver more courageous souls and um learn i guess to look back on, on the journeys and and laugh or cry whatever it might look like i don't know but um aaron is um, a mind body healing coach and i just wrote down something smaller just which is uh you help people suffering from emotional trauma and physical pain to heal permanently in in life mm -hmm. and how you found your way on this path is the is the magical story that you shared with me i'd love if you if you can to um just to, to open up it, telling people how how you came about to be on this path. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was I started life as a car mechanic actually. <laughs> um, I was I was twenty one years old and um, I had a I was involved in a car crash that just changed my life forever. I remember it was like it was yesterday. To be honest, um, I had the day off work. I actually my my left ankle was already broken. From a football injury something completely different and i had my um, leg in a cast so i'd spent the whole day off work just kind of sitting there enduring the rubbish daytime telly um and it was my best friend's 24th birthday i was waiting for him to finish work and come and collect me and we're gonna go out for a meal you know and eventually that's what happened he turned up and i made my way out to the car i was on my crutches and there was my myself there was Ollie, my best friend of eight years, and Donna, my girlfriend of six years. They were brother and sister. And I went to get in the car and I, and I couldn't get in because I couldn't kind of climb over into the back. So Ollie got into the back, I got in the front, um, and off we went, you know, and we went out for a meal and it was wonderful, very stereotypically English, actually, <laughs> nice pub, and there was a cricket ground opposite. And, you know, and as we sat there, we're, there's a beautiful log fire and big, you know, big logs and it's warm and the energy's beautiful, lots of love, lots of laughter and, you know, just how you'd expect it to be on a birthday, actually. And as we're, as we're leaving the restaurant, I'm kind of making my way out through the door and I've got my crutches kind of hobbling along and, and Ollie shouts out to me, he says, Aaron, I'll be back in a minute. So, all right, mate. So I guess he went to the toilet and out I went and I made myself, I made my way out to the car with Donna um, and she was driving. So she went round to the front, she got in and I'm stood there by the car and it's a little Audi A3, three door. And I'm waiting and it's kind of getting freezing cold and it's starting to rain and I'm stood there like, come on Ollie, come on. And then in this moment, it was like, 
the only way I can describe it, it was like time just stood still. And it was like this energetic pull. It was almost like someone grabbing me by the shirt and pulling me in. And the, I didn't hear a voice, but it was like I could hear a voice and just saying, get in the car, Aaron. get in the car. So it's what I did. I opened the door and I pushed the seat forward with my crutch and kind of jammed my crutch in there to, to make a bit more room. And, and I was sort of shuffling over to the back. And, I, you know, I remember pulling my leg in, the one with the cast, and thinking, why am I doing this? Yeah, and eventually I kind of got in and Ollie came out, we put our seatbelts on and off we went. And that's when the crash happened. We're driving down this B road. It's like quite a wide, long stretch of road and it's making a right-hand turn. And as we come up to, we're sort of approaching the corner, we come up behind this car and it starts to sort of slow down and speed up and slow down and starts starting to act really odd. So Donna just decides to make make the overtake. And as we start to overtake, the car speeds up and we speed up and the car speeds up and we speed up. And by this time, we're doing about 70 miles an hour, which is probably, I guess, about 80, 90 kilometers an hour, something like that. And we finally kind of make our way past the car. And as we come back in, the car begins to lose control. And that's when we started to move from side to side. And all I can see out the windscreen is just like trees, road, trees, road, trees, road. And hear the sound of the tires screeching. All of a sudden, we just hit the curb, flipped upside down. It was like, bang. We landed on the roof. And at this point, I had never been amongst death before. I'd never experienced that. But I, I could feel this kind of cold, dead, still energy. I mean, I was howling and screaming. I was in agony. I mean, my, it felt like my back, it felt like someone had got a big kitchen knife and kind of pushed it into the base of my spine and twisted it. I mean, I was, I was in agony, but beyond my own screaming and howling, I could just feel and hear this kind of dead silence. Then what felt like probably four days but i now know it was about 40 minutes or so i can see faces appear and blue lights flashing and i can the sound of metal tearing and sparks flying everywhere and, and the fire brigade cut me out and that's when i was pulled out of the car and i don't I, I to be honest i don't remember the journey back to a and e i must have passed out or something but i do remember arriving at a and e and it was like the only way I can describe it was like I could see myself in the, as a third person. It's really weird. I remember seeing myself on the stretcher and I could see myself being wheeled into A&E. This big emergency happening, the doctors flying everywhere and, you know, this big kind of rush. And I was wheeled off and had CT scan and MRI scan and whatever else. And then I just remember I'm laying in the, after this, I'm laying in the intensive care room. And it's, it's complete silence. It's just me and my dad. And my mum walks in and I can see by the look on her face, you know, everything's not okay. And that's when she delivered the news to me. She, she kind of came over to the bed and leant over and gave me a cuddle and I'm sort of strapped down, you know, with the like big orange neck brace and, and the, the orange like seatbelt looking thing strapped me down to the bed. And she leant over and she said, Aaron, I'm sorry, you know, they're dead. And 
that's when you know, I was screaming and my mum was crying and, and, and then she said, and you've broken your back. And I, I didn't, to be honest, I was 21. I had no idea what that meant. I, I didn't care. I was, I was so, I was in so much pain. I felt like someone had kind of torn my heart out and just replaced it with this cold stone to be honest and all I knew is that my legs didn't move they didn't work and, I, and my back was in agony and then I spent the next four, five or six hours there at A&E in Colchester and then the next morning I think it was about six five or six a.m in the morning I was then transferred over to a hospital near London by air ambulance so they took me in the helicopter over to Romford because there's a specialist neurological unit there. And I spent the next three weeks in intensive care. And what had happened, I later found out, is basically I'd broken my back. My um, T12 and L1 vertebra had been pulled apart and kind of one had slid behind the other. So my spinal cord was trapped in like an S shape. And... They were the reason I spent sort of three weeks there before I had the operation to realign my spine is because basically my spinal cord was pinched and any further damage and it, you know, it could have been serious, really serious, potentially fatal. So I had the operation and my dad was the only person there to receive the news once the once the um, operation was complete and the spinal surgeon he called my dad into the office, you know, he said, Mr. Tims, come and sit down. And he said, we got good news and we got bad news. He said, the good news is that even though the operation took, you know, nearly nine hours, we managed to realign his spine and put it back together without any further damage to the spinal cord. The bad news is the damage to his cord was worse than we originally thought. And he's never going to walk again. And I mean, I don't know how many of you that are watching are parents. Um, you know, I, I'm a parent now. I've got a daughter of two years old and I'm starting to kind of get an idea of what that must have been like for him. Um, and he he went home and he made a decision. He actually started speaking. He was he spoke to my stepmom about it. And, and my dad and my stepmom, um, they married when I was six. So, you know known her a lot of years and she's always been into spirituality into mind body healing into alternative therapies um and she had a conversation with my dad and basically said look if aaron knows the true prognosis he has no hope he has no belief and without that it's game over so so my dad made a decision to come back to the hospital and that i wouldn't know the news i wasn't to know the truth and he basically stood and he, he told the, the consultants and the, and the spinal surgeon, you know, Aaron can't know the truth. We've got to give him hope. And they said, basically, he's 21. You know, it's legal protocol. He has to know the truth. And my dad stood in the doorway, literally. He had his arms against the doors in the intensive care room. And he said, you are not coming in. You are not taking hope and belief away from my son. And I'm getting emotional now because I know if, if he didn't do that, I probably would still be in the chair. Um, and after a heated discussion, as you can imagine, they, they agreed that I did have to know the, the truth, if you like, the true prognosis. 
but my dad could tell me in his time because of because of this you know how serious the circumstances were he never did he lied to me he told me that they thought i was going to walk again he told me everything was going to be okay he said that um he said that i'm going to be transferred to stoke mandeville this special place where miracles happen and he told the surgeons that i knew the truth but i was too distraught and i wasn't to know um you know as you can probably tell i'm emotional because i really believe that that's probably the reason i'm walking you know it seems crazy it seems a bit naive in a way now to think but at the time you know i just believed that i was going to walk and then uh three weeks after that moment i was then transferred over to stoke mandeville and stoke mandeville for those of you that don't know it's, it's a specialist um spinal injury center for rehabilitation and in my mind, I was actually going there because the miracle doctors and they were going to help me here and I was going to walk out and it's going to be this, you know, big success story. And I really was deluded. I really thought that's what it was all about. And the day I was transferred, after getting lost in a field, <laughs> because the ambulance actually took a wrong turn, <laughs> but when I finally arrived, they took me out, they wheeled me out into like this side room where they do some tests and as i'm laying there and i was really scared at this point because i felt the energy it was it wasn't a good energy it was quite suppressed it was quite negative and you know i could see the other people in the wheelchairs and it just didn't look good and i'm i'm really nervous at this point and i'm quite scared to be honest and in walks uh mr newton and he was exactly what i imagined you know he's this tall like smiley bubbly consultant and he had this great energy um, and i later found out that he he was a priest until he was 40 and he decided that he wasn't helping enough people so he decided to become a spinal surgeon i mean what an incredible oh. human being so no wonder he had an amazing energy and mr newton did he did these tests and one of them he, he had a like a pin and he was um literally picking me pr pricking me down my side to see where I could feel and, and you know it was really sore down my ribs and then then when I got down to my legs obviously I couldn't feel anything and in that moment when he was there I felt safe I felt like ah oh, you know everything's going to be okay and as he walked out the room I mean the door was open but it was like he hit this invisible brick wall he just stopped in his tracks he turned around and he kind of looked at me and I was like he's going to tell me it's all going to be okay and he said Aaron it's all going to be okay he said, you're going to make a great paraplegic. You've got strong shoulders, strong arms. And that was the moment it was like, boom, this steam chain in my chest. And I, and that was the moment I realized that actually, I don't, this is real. You know, I don't think I'm ever going to walk again. And, and that was really where my journey started, to be honest, because my, my stepmom kind of introduced me to the concept that the mind can heal the body and, I thought she was crazy. <laughs> I, I really did. I, I, to me, this whole concept was so taboo, so strange, so far out from where I was. But, you know, what did I have to lose? Um, and that's where it started. I just started to meditate. I started to visualize all these things I'd never done before. And, um, and it was, well, actually, I did this thing where I would wheel myself down to the to the physio gym every day i would kind of take myself down in my wheelchair and they had these exercise bikes and on these bikes it was like 
kind of um, it's like a sort of a, a seat with a 45 degree angle and the, the electric motor. So, you know, so what you would do is you would transfer across and then strap your waist in, strap your knees on, strap your ankles on. It was designed for paraplegics. It's designed for circulation, basically. And I'd strap myself in and, and I would close my eyes and I would I would visualize being on the Tour de France. And I would imagine like cycling and I would I would imagine, you know, I'd had I had 150 cyclists behind me chasing me because if I was going to be on it, I was going to win it. Right. So I would see the, the the mountains down in the south of France. and I would feel the wind rushing past my face and I would feel the burn in my legs. You know, and because because it was such a fresh injury, I had that I was able to remember what it felt like to have like that burning sensation in your legs. And I would just like really embody it. And the truth is, you know, when I started to do that, I, I, I had the intention I want to heal. You know, my thinking was if I can send electrical signals from my brain down into my legs, possibly I could get them working again. And the truth is, you know, three, three weeks later, nothing was really happening. And I was at this point, I was all out on belief. I was like, I, I just can't see this happening. But I, I had this like massive realization that when I closed my eyes, I could experience anything I wanted to. And I was depressed. I was grieving. I was living in hospital, which was, that's not a nice thing to do in itself. The energy was horrible because everyone in there, you know, they've, they're going through a difficult time. But every time I closed my eyes, I could, I could just go to this place and have a moment of fun, to be honest. It's like a little escape from reality. So I continued to do it. And then one day my mum came to visit and you know, I told her, you know, mom, I've been doing this visualization going to the Tour de France. And she kind of <laughs> looked at me, you know, did you bump your head? <laughs> um, and I said, no, no, come and check it out. And I kind of, we wheeled down to the gym and, you know, I went on the bike, transferred across onto the bike, strapped myself in and off I went. But, and because I've been doing this every day, I just got really good at it. And I just slipped into this new reality. I was back on the Tour de France. I could feel the, the pressure of the bikes chasing me. I could see myself going down into Paris and down up and down the Jean de Lisier. And, you know, I just felt it. Then all of a sudden, there's like, ah! And I was like, kind of snapped back out of it. And I kind of I looked around and I'm back in the gym and I look up and my mum's crying and shaking and pointing. And, and there's this digital reader on the front of the bike and it reads the resistance in your legs. And... There would, it'd been at zero percent for for the three weeks, and all of a sudden it read three hundred percent. And I looked down, and my legs were moving. I could see my muscles kind of contracting, and that was the I just burst out crying, as you can imagine. And that was the moment I knew. Um, and then you know, it was like, get Mister Newton, come and see this. And from that moment, that was it. It was like, right, this, this I don't know how this works, but it works. And twelve weeks later, I walked out of hospital. Um, that's where weeks. it all started. <laughs> yeah. Twelve weeks later. Yeah. yeah. So you went from being told at twenty-one that you're never going to walk again to twelve weeks later walking out. I didn't actually re realize it was that soon. Mm. Yeah. Twelve. And weeks. for something as profound and, and physical for for that to happen, you already were registering by listening to you already registering the the. The importance of the uh, mind-body connection. Mm. Would you have ever thought that that was even something that was possible before no this way. experience? No way. You know, 
Growing up, my stepmom used to say things like this to me a lot. You know, the mind can heal the body, and she used to talk about it. And and I remember sitting there just thinking, you are crazy. Like, how could how could a thought, how could the mind, you know, how could a, a, an image or a visualization possibly influence the body? There's like, there's just no way. Um, to be honest, it was literally desperation. I, I look at yeah. the, I'd look in the wheelchair in the corner of the room, and I would think about life in a wheelchair and you know all the you know would anyone love me again and all these thoughts that happen you know it's not truth of course but they're all the things that go through your mind yeah, in that absolutely and that yeah. was just that was just horrible and, and so it's just like i was willing to do anything um and so i just started to do it and you know is the answer i, I would never think anything like that is possible you know and of yeah. course since that i've read a lot of books and i've studied it and and now i'm starting to understand the link it's it's a bit more obvious to me now but at the time no way no way and in a state of such grief the depths of your grief you're you're grieving the the loss of your 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 girlfriend your your best friend the loss of your life at 21 the, the loss of of you know I, I actually said this in a conversation with somebody today it's like nearly the the loss of what you have planned grief comes in many shapes and forms and can immobilize you and, and by the sounds of listening to, to your story there now it almost acted like a catalyst for for your um how do i even say it like for, for your expansion to to be able to remove yourself from from the depths of your grief to put your physical body into the position where you you leave it you leave it quite literally and activate the power of your mind to signal to your body you know this is a life force an undeniable life force that is underestimated and never really even used to this capacity and i know that you, you've taken that and quite literally now <laughs> run with it like it's it's incredible because you 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 know now the importance of the the, the mind body coherence and um, we the common uh, love of dr joe dispenza um the last time we spoke and, and and shared what he does very publicly very similar to what you're doing is is communicate the importance of the impact of a person's mind on their physical body um and stress it i don't think there i don't think people realize the chaos that their mind can take them to and in your case obviously it's an extreme situation it's a massive um you know a shake a shake up takedown where your entire existence pivots and you know it's incredible listening to you because you've you've done an exceptional job i mean and now you're passionate you've taken quite literally was your trauma turned it into a treasure and now you're passionate about uh, reiterating the importance of the the power of the human mind over our physical body which in essence houses our our experiences it houses our fields our emotions our beliefs and then how they in turn impact immobilize propel whatever it might look like us from moving forward in life um how have you how have you relayed the depth of your understanding to to people who who you know wouldn't really associate the two for whatever reason 
Well, that's a great question, actually. Um, it's been a it's been a stage of evolution, really, is the truth. Because for I mean, when I came out of hospital, I actually was under this illusion, you know, when I can walk again, I can rebuild my life, everything's going to be okay. And the truth was, when I got out of hospital, that was actually probably the more difficult period. Because mm -hmm. when I was in hospital, I was kind of taken like this big hand out the sky, just took me out of life, put me in hospital. And although it was a very horrible and traumatic journey in many ways, it was a blessing in disguise because I didn't have life distracting me and taking me out. Yeah. So when I when I got back home, I was under this illusion, you know, I could it would be okay, I'd be comforting, I'd be able to rebuild my life. But actually, what happened was is I I realized that I'd lost who my identity, who I was. I was no longer the car mechanic. I no longer had an income. I was no longer a, a boyfriend. I was no longer a best friend. I was no longer the football player. And all of these identities I lost. And that was probably that was so difficult because I just didn't get it at the time. And so for, you know, a number of years, really, I just kind of hid away and I just didn't do a lot. I mean, I did a lot of work on myself to overcome the depression and, and the, the emotional traumas I was having. And I got to a point where I was, I wouldn't say properly happy, but I was okay. But it wasn't until really 2018 that I went to this personal development event, which I didn't realize was a personal development event <laughs> until, I, until I got there. <laughs> um, my first ever event. I thought it was something completely different, but that's another story. But but when I got there, I was asked to share on stage as a participant my story, and I never knew that was coming. And I was up there, and I was sweating, I was shaking, I didn't want to be there, and I shared. And then and then that's when the room you know erupted, and everyone clapped, and I realised, you know what, I got a moral obligation here to to use this and do something and share it, um, and. That was in my heart of hearts when I knew that was the moment that started to really change my course and my direction of life. And since then, I decided to start to work with people. I said, right, step one, just work with people, experiment. So I reached out to some people and said, look, hey, I, I know that the power of the mind is powerful. I'll be honest, I don't quite know how it works. Would you work with me? Would you try some visualizations with me? Would you try some meditative techniques? And could you fancy just playing with it? So I started to work with people. And what I realized is we had some moments of significance. You know, we were able to harness that intention, that focus force, that energy. We were able to harness it and have moments where, you know, physical symptoms would just dissipate and fall away in, in minutes. So I started to realize that the, the mind-body connection was significant and we can influence the physiology and the body. But then I, I realized there was some blockages. So I started to... You know, one one example actually, I worked with a lady who had MS, and we were able to in the meditations and the visualizations, we were able to get her strength in her hands to come back. We were able to get her vision to become more clear. We were able to get the the lost sensation in her leg to come back. You know, in minutes. I'm talking like six, seven, eight minutes. But then it's, the, all the physical symptoms would just come back. It was like they would evaporate and then they would just fall back from the sky and rain all over again. And it was like, like we know it's possible. And then what I realized, we started to explore why. And then what I realized is that she was experiencing these moments of elevation, like love and joy and gratitude. And, you know, she was having these experiences that were leading to changing the body. But then she was going back into her life where mm -hmm. she was carrying a lot of anger and resentment. 
she'd been treated quite badly by some family members and there'd just been there's been some things happen where she was carrying this so the question was it was like well if we can create that physical change in those small windows well can we expand that you know can we take that elevated state of being from the visualization and can we take it into life can we you know make it more of a, a permanent state of being and of course the answer was yes it took a took a little while to work it all out so we started to do the do the coaching work to do that and that's when that's when we realized or i had a big realization with her you know the the key here is really about you know bridging the gap between knowing doing and being knowing is adopting the philosophy knowing is learning new information it's hearing someone speak it's reading the book it's going to the seminar seminar or whatever it is but then there's the doing right so people will take this information and they'll be inspired and then they'll start to meditate or make lifestyle changes or you know do whatever we do and that's wonderful but there's a piece missing because mm -hmm. our state of being you know is 24 hours a day even when we're sleeping yeah. so you meditate for an hour a day well that's great it's a, it's a wonderful start but it might change your state of being for one hour but there's another 23 hours so we started to work on how to bridge the gap between the doing and the being and then the being part led me on a bit of a spiritual journey um i started to explore that and that's when i started to get really deep and started to go into more spiritual work and more soul work and get really deep on the energy work and i've realized you know when you when you incorporate the mind the body and you could say the physiology or the emotional self whichever viewpoint you want to look at it from and you incorporate you and by you i'm referring to you as the spiritual being the life force the energizer the essence and when you incorporate all of those and you ascend your state of being magic just happens and that's so it's been like a, a stage and a journey of evolution to kind of get clear on it all um, yeah, I hope, I hope that answers the um, question. <laughs> no, it's, you did a, a phenomenal job there. I'm just getting lost here listening to you as well. It's beautiful, beautiful to hear your perspective. One of the things I just like to touch back on, uh, which um, ties into what you've just explained or talked about there, is um, when we place ourselves in everyday life, which you described, you left the, the environment of the hospital where you'd no distractions, your focus was very, um, you know, um, self-healing orientated. It was, it was on your body. It was on this recovery. You step back into the, um, the, the home environment, the, the environment around you and, and life happens. Basically we are, we have our interactions with other people. Um, um, and all of a sudden we're, we're pulled out of this heart-based, place and back into our heads and then the environments around us impact us similarly when you're speaking about that lady and what she experienced how she had um uh, limited times with peak experiences that then uh dissipated you know life or thoughts or beliefs feelings whatever it might be re-engage and, and then um she's back to square one that's a huge thing i think that a lot of people battle with um, in everyday life where they know they 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 feel it they feel the discord in their lives they 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 know that they want things to be different they don't know where to begin or if they do begin and they're trying to stay in their own lane do the best that they can from from their vantage point and then the outside world just like you said rains down in whatever way shape or form that looks like um, and all of a sudden 
you can feel like you're, you're back to square one again. Mm. What would you say to anybody who, who, you know, is in that space, knows that they want that change, but can't seem to, for whatever reason, um, keep the um, momentum going of that action place? Because a lot of people, I'm just going to call a spade a spade, our minds can be an they be assholes, right? <laughs> yeah. And the amount of yeah. again, excuse my language, fuckery that the mind can just come in and tell you mm. you're not worth shit, uh, what you're doing, you know, isn't uh, good enough. Uh, who do you think you are? In your case, I mean, the except you exceptionally, you will never walk again. You're deluding yourself. Are you kidding yourself? And here you are you know mm. quite literally walking to talk and it's it's amazing but for some you know for some people who really um they just can't they just they, they defeat themselves with their own mm. minds they're you know because that's what happens there's nobody else doing this it's ourselves but we don't realize that we are like you said you know god in skin having these experiences we forget yeah. that we forget that we're made of star stuff you know, what would you say to somebody who, who, who battles with that? Yeah, uh, what I would say is this, is um, the key to that um, is awareness, it's presence. And let me expand on that because that sounds like a very obvious thing to say. It's, it's, they're words that get thrown out a lot at the moment. And it's important to really go a layer deeper on that because we have our our mind right and what happens is is we well we have we have presence so if we break this down for a moment we have you have your body which is that physical vessel you have your mind which is a protection mechanism and it's a planning machine then you have your emotional self and you also have you you as the spiritual being you are now what i've found with many people and, and one of the first things i'll do when i work with someone is we will go for a process called what I call is clean slating, where we, and what that means is, is we find out the the um, the full definition of what you means, and we'll find out the full definition of what presence means, and then we'll go through a process to clean slate. And what that means is, is find out any precepts that a person has. Now, what a precept is is a precept is it's an underlying rule or principle. And a principle is basically um, an underruling truth that someone has. So mm -hmm. uh, a precept is an underlying rule or a principle that um, that stimulates conduct or behavior. And most people don't realize what precepts are. And they're effectively like the roots of a belief system. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem is, is we can learn these things conceptually about presence, about um, being a spiritual being, about the mind being a separate entity to the body, all of these stuff, right? We can learn that from a conceptual and intellectual standpoint. But if we have precepts and we have beliefs that don't um, coincide that through our, because that's what we've adopted through our experience of life, all of these things is just simply layering on top of those. So it might give you a moment of presence or it might give you a moment of awareness or it might give you a moment of self-awareness but it's not going to be permanent. But the moment you go in and deconstruct that, what you're really doing is you're pulling away any of the barriers. And then what happens is you become more present. Now, when you become more present, what happens? Because presence is a spiritual ability, right? Presence is the awareness. It is that spiritual being you are. Mm 
And when you become more present, you your your awareness grows. So you as a human, you as a as a being expand. And when you expand, what happens? Well, you become big, you feel big. Well, when you feel big, when you become big, guess what? The mind becomes smaller. So all of a sudden you become bigger than it. Now I know from my own experience of life, the moments when I'm stressed, when I get stressed, I do the, I, you know, I'm, I do this work and I, you know, I really hold on to the, my value of integrity, but I'm human and <laughs> we all get stressed. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and I know that the moments when I'm stressed is because I'm not present, I'm absent. And when I'm absent, I become smaller than my mind. When I'm yeah. present, I, I expand and I become bigger than my mind. And mm -hmm. that's the same for our problems in life. We only face adversity when our problems become bigger than us and we have to become bigger than them. And to be honest, that's what shock does to us, right? When we have shock yeah. or trauma, the shock in the body absorbs our attention, which means we go in, which means we become small. When we become yeah. small, problems seem big. So in answer to your question, you know, what I would say is get get someone and get a good coach, get someone that knows what they're doing to help you just to expand that. And you can do it pretty rapidly because when you expand your presence, you know, the mind, it's almost like this. Now, I find my mind sometimes it's, it can be overwhelming and it can really pull me down. There's other times I look at it and I can see it throwing a tantrum mm -hmm. and I can just observe it and, and be okay yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah. I hope that makes I sense. It. <laughs> makes perfect sense. It was a beautiful analogy and I love the way you described it. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you put up a post the other day and you talked about the power of uh, locked up and agitated energy in your body. I was wondering if you'd expand on, on that for anybody because I think there's a lot of people in that state lately <laughs> and yeah. um, they don't really know what to do with that either. You know, it's, it's, it's very evident in, you know, the stresses people are experiencing and going through. Um, you know, the, 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 the detriment of, of containing mm -hmm. that agitated energy um, and not diffusing it to uh, hold on to it and, and then act out via it, um, if you could talk mm -hmm. to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to the post I did about mass. Yeah. Um, yeah, mass, oh, you put me on the spot. Can I remember the definition? <laughs> the definition of mass is a, a unified body of matter with no specific shape, locked up agitated energy caused by the collision of two energy flows mm. suspended in space about around the spiritual being. So that's the definition. Now, if you break that down, well, what does that really mean? Well, a unified body of matter, well, we know matter is physical form with no specific shape. Well, that's obvious, right? It can be any shape. But this is the part I love. And it says locked up agitated energy. Mm -hmm. Well, what is energy? I mean, there are lots of different definitions for energy, right? And one of the definitions for energy, I mean, emotion is energy in motion, right? Emotion, I think the word emotion was derived from the Latin word emotere which meant energy and motion. Now, if you break that down, well, what is what is the colliding of two energy flows? Well, thought is an energy flow. It's a neurological pathway. It's also um, an electromagnetic, it's a electromagnetic field. You have emotions running through the body. Now, if you have a collision, which can be a paradigm crash, it can be two thoughts colliding. If you have two emotions that collide and they're either unknowing because we ignore the unpleasant sensation in the body, or we're just not willing to feel it because it feels freaking horrible and scary, what yeah. happens? Then we get this mass form, we get this agitated, locked up energy that, that holds in the body. And you can identify it through unpleasant sensations, basically. 
Yeah. And what happens is, is that mass becomes heavy. You know, and again, one of the one of the processes I run with my clients is what I call a mass handling, where we just go to it, we basically experience it, because yeah. we have to, if we want to release an emotion, that's not something we can do in the mind. You know, an understanding and forgiveness in the mind. You know, I know a lot of people say the key is forgiveness, and you know, mm. absolutely, absolutely. But but you cannot fully release locked up, agitated energy and emotions just through a um, psychological process yeah. it has to be felt and experienced so we have to place our attention on the the mass the lo locked up agitated energy enough for it to release and for anyone watching you can practice this if you feel an unpleasant sensation in your body wherever it is okay and you place your attention on it for long enough you will find it starts to dissipate and you will find that the biological process it will actually start to surface and release a great way to do this is, is if you're feeling heavy or if you're feeling stuck or, you know, like you can't get past something in your life, take 10 minutes in the morning, sit in silence, place your attention into your stomach and just feel the unpleasant sensation. And, and it will feel pretty horrible, <laughs> but yeah. it's only an emotion. You know, it's not going to kill you. Well, it might do if you leave it in there. <laughs> um, yeah. no, I'm joking. I'm joking, but I'm half not. But but seriously, yeah. if you if you if you if you place your attention on it, you'll notice it begins to actually arise in your body, yeah. and you might shed a tear or you might have something you know surface. That is true release. Mm -hmm. You know that's that mass. That's that locked up agitated energy I was referring to. You know, yeah. and that's what we've got to get out. That's cleansing. That's healing. That's that's where real physical healing happens, actually. Yeah, and it's it's given your human body permission to do it. In, intuitively, it knows what to do. It's not designed to contain and retain all of this bullshit. It's not. It's 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 designed to to, to release it, to let go, and and the body wants to let go. It's the mind that says no and and tries to um, you know, to keep it in again you touched on another topic there with regards to the the forgiveness and the experience of of, of releasing something in in the body it's so true and, and a lot of people think that they are processes through the mind and and you're never going to get there never going to get there i as recent as yesterday experienced this i held on to a story so attached to a story based on an experience, based on what you talked about earlier on, this this core underlying wound or belief that that literally, like the roots of a tree, um, anchor so many things that you've experienced. Because of that, I, I have this experience, I hold on to it. I think I've forgiven, I think I've let go, you know, I think I have, my body says no, not a hope. And then I got to this place yesterday and I swear to God, like I'm, I'm still in awe of, of what's unfolding around me. Um, compassion and unconditional love. And they're there in my arms. You can see them tattooed <laughs> to remind me. I've got the, the, the Omani Padme home there in the Unalom here. They're there to remind me compassion. The, the, you know, the journey in, the journey of unconditional. And yesterday, yesterday, I got to actually feel it. And the release, it's indescribable. Like, I don't even have words. I'm not even going to keep trying to talk about it. All I can say is it wasn't experienced here. It was very much experienced here. And the freedom 
that that we gift ourselves in in really releasing these pent up um things that we really don't need because you, you you spoke to it there as well you came in from another angle which is extremely important when we do not um address our body when it whispers to us it shouts and when we do not address the shouts we hear the screams and when we do when we we try to ignore the screams there's an all-out shit show and then all of a sudden you're dealing with major illness um or you know like he said they like the accident is another avenue that this actually appears but so many people are in a state of dis-ease it manifests as disease in our bodies and then it's another it's another um it's another game altogether if you could even touch on the importance of of that because i know you come across it immensely it's it's a huge part of what you do you help them to understand the 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 locked in trauma in their body and then what to do with that when it when it impacts physically and then what to do from there i mean i mean in terms of how it impacts the body physically i think we have to the only way that I've been able to understand this myself, if you like, and kind of get my head around it. And, you know, and I've studied a lot of Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. He's been a massive influence on helping mm. me understand that and Bruce Lipton and, you know, some of the others. And and you have to break it down on a, on a cellular level. If you look at yeah. the body as an organism, right, it's one whole organism. But really it's not. It's a community of organisms. Because if yeah. we break the body down into systems of the body, then you have your endocrine system, digestive system, nervous system, et cetera, et cetera. And then you break those down into organs and you have pieces of the systems and the parts of the body, right? And when you break those down and you have tissues, you have, and then you break the tissues down and you have cells. Well, if you look mm -hmm. at a cell, what is a cell? Well, it has components and it has, you know, mechanical parts. But if you break that down and if you put that under a powerful microscope, it's energy. Yeah. On a subatomic level, it's energy, it's electrons, atoms and molecules. And that's what we're made of. And the cells and this is this is one thing that I learned that really changed the way that I work with myself and with people is that is that cells do this thing where they have energy passing through them. Right. They have processes that to function. And, you know, you know there's a new science epigenetics that people are mm. um, talking about now about how how our emotions and the environment in the body affects the gene expression of the yeah. body and the cells have a process now what they do is they basically they you know they have to keep dividing and all of these things to to reproduce and maintain the body but one thing they do is really well is they eliminate toxins so they'll draw in water and they eliminate toxins out and they push it out into the bloodstream then the body has the toxins in the blood and the body has its own paths of elimination it has four in fact it has respiratory through the lungs and out through our breathing it has perspiration through the skin uh, urination through the kidneys and the bladder and then excretion through the digestive system right but so that's basically i mean all illness and disease in fact i did a live video on this today all illness and disease is basically created when the inflow of toxins is greater than the outflow of toxins in the body. So, yeah. you know, when we look at toxins, there is environmental toxins, there's processed foods with toxins in, um, there's, you know, viruses and those type of toxins and that type of stuff. But most of all, toxic emotions. 
you know, and uh, things like anger and guilt and shame and blame, they're okay to feel. Please don't misunderstand me. It's okay mm. to feel that way. But if we feel like that for prolonged periods of time over and over and over again, it can become toxic to our body. Mm. And then what happens? The inflow becomes greater than the, the cells and the body's ability to eliminate and, and out. And that's yeah. when all of a sudden the body gets knocked out of balance. And there are ways, there are simple ways that you can actually support the cells to rejuvenate and to heal i mean first you've got to turn the tap off to the toxicity of course yeah. um and most of the time i say most and i mean most but not all but most of the time that is to do with emotional patterns that we are yeah. stuck in we're stuck inside of you know toxic emotions you turn the tap off and then you work out simple ways to support the cells you can do breathing exercises meditation processes are incredible um so, you know, once you understand that principle, all of a sudden you can say, well, hang on a minute. You've just got to allow the flow of energy through the body, you know, and you can look at that from a cellular level. You can look at it as an energetic level, a soul level. You can look at it um, from more of a biological level. But either way, what we're really saying is, is we need flow of energy through the body. Mm. And that has to come. You know, you'll experience it. Right. You've you're really upset. You're you're angry or you're really sad or something. And you go. You give your friend a big cuddle and all of a sudden the floodgates open. How do you feel after? You feel light. Mm. Why do you feel light? That locked up agitated energy has been released, biological process of release. And then all of a sudden the energy flows restored around the body. And that's what that's ultimately what healing's about. You know, Joe Dispenza says that energy is information. Yeah. And he's right. Because the energy is the information. It's like the order form or the direction form that you put into the cells and the cells then communicate and they they react and do their thing based on the energy and information they're given yeah. um so it makes sense then right we'll give them the right information <laughs> yeah and and then up to the, the the person you know to honor the body um mm. as the receptor of this information and actively then to to do something with that because it is a personal choice whether or not like i mean you've got all you've got all avenues communicating with you um looking for your attention to do something with it and then it is up to us to to make the change to be the change and to do um you know the, the steps like you said earlier on it's not enough to to know the information you have to do something with it and then the embodiment of it so that you can actually you know be the change that you want to see in your world moving forward um joe Spence is a phenomenal uh, man i was i was i shared this with you I got to spend uh, two and a half days in Edinburgh with, uh, at a seminar. Great intentions to do one of the uh, week-long retreats. And then, uh, well, the world went on, on snooze. Did they hit the snooze button, didn't they? <laughs> so um, it is definitely something that I would love to uh, experience um, because I love the way he, he very simply explains, you know, about how, like, that if our environment is bigger than us, that it's very difficult without that awareness to to bring about any type of change in the world at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that we had that in common when we spoke. Aaron, I really just want to say thank you so much for coming in here and sharing this wealth of knowledge. It's been absolutely epic to listen to. You're an incredibly awesome man. Can can you share where people can can find you? Yeah, firstly, I want to say thank you so much for having me. And, and I've kind of been flicking and seeing lots of comments and I can see there's, you know, there's clearly some amazing people here. So thank you for um, having me here. 
Who's our UK version? If yeah. I had a pound for every time someone has said that, that's the biggest compliment I could ever take. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But you know, you're uh, you are you're you're literally living. You're the living mm -hmm. you are the living embodiment mm -hmm. of what he goes up on a stage and he talks about is possible. You are like it in skin. Yeah. And you know, if if these guys you know really should find you and 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 share this story with the world because it's exceptional i know his meditations are so powerful the descriptions mm. of 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 what you've you're after sharing you know how you personally utilize them mm. it, that information is for everybody and, and everybody can Absolutely. really transform their lives with it you know yeah. so i really yeah, love that you've, you've shared you know that you're taking you're taking your story and showing people what is possible because it's really needed in the world right now. So on behalf of the world, thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, you're welcome. Can't be easy. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, you know, if people want to check me out, I've got, I've got a website. It's um, aarontimsofficial.com or Facebook. Um, I've got a Facebook page called Conscious Success. You know, I'm, I'm now in the process of, because I just believe so much in human potential. And I believe that, you know, we together we have so much more potential, you know. So one of the one of the missions my wife and I are on now is to bring people together. And we've we started Conscious Success, which we're going to grow into a training and coaching academy for mind body healing. And that's what we want to do. You know, we want to bring people together. We want to do events. And, you know, because when people come together, that human potential just expands. You know, and what yeah. I said earlier, you know, when you when you get present and your beingness expands, mm, well, if your beingness expands and my beingness expands and another be person's beingness expands and we all expand together, yeah, we just imagine what that can create. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love the idea. Even mm. even talking about it and listening to it, you can mm. feel it. You can feel it. It is contagious. That sounds mm. epic. Well, listen. Thank you again, and thanks to everybody watching um and for all the the engagement with the comments we really appreciate them we'll take a peek back when we're done um until next time thank you so much and thanks for everyone watching bye thank bye <laughs>